Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of Follow the Boston Celtics. Thank you yet again for downloading the number one podcast on the web, which covers the NBA's winningest franchise, Celtics Beat. CLNS Radio truly values your patrons because of your loyalty to making Celtics Beat the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast online. We would love to offer a free copy of my critically acclaimed book, available at clnsradio.com/lhrbook. That's clnsradio.com slash book. Happy reading and enjoy today's broadcast. Today is Sunday, September 18th, 2016. This is Celtic Speed on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell, we have just about reached the finish line of the NBA offseason. I would not call it a marathon. The summer was brisk, at least on my end. That Atlanta series, the fallout from the draft, the Durant-Horford holiday weekend, summer league. This offseason moved at a serious pace, at least for me. I don't know about everyone listening. However, training camp now just days away, officially beginning next Tuesday, September 27th. And of course, CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics, will have full coverage of Celtics Media Day and the startup training camp over on clnsradio.com. Raw and uncut videos on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash clnsradio. And of course, podcasts such as this on the CLNS Radio free mobile app. And with this rapid conclusion of the NBA offseason, we will put the capper on the Primer Series on this very broadcast. It has been a month, and in said month, we have, in my eyes, looked at all potential roadblocks for the Celtics, starting with the Indiana Pacers, the Charlotte Hornets, and all the way to the very top of the conference with the Toronto Raptors and, of course, the world champion Cleveland Cavaliers. And, of course, last week, maybe the most relevant team outside of Boston at all in the minds of Celtics Nation, we had Ian Eagle here for the entirety of episode number 174. Ian was here to fully delve into the state of the Brooklyn basketball franchise as they clean house. New coach, new GM, new players. And yes, we talked about how bad the Nets could be and what kind of draft pick will be headed Boston's way next June. Available in the archives on iTunes and Stitcher. Subscribe now to get the full access. And now this week, today, 
the 18th of September, we officially bring the Primer Series to a close. Fittingly, the team that ended Boston's season last year ends the Primer Series. We will bring on CLNS Radio Celtics pregame show stalwart. Chris Vivlamore, Atlanta Hawks beat reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And that is not all. Today's featured guest segment will be with someone who watches more basketball than anyone I know. ESPN Insider's Kevin Pelton will run down the rundowns of the Eastern Conference. Everyone else not touched upon all in one. Coming up on episode number 175 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being presented by Blue Apron and American Network.com. Now, let's start off with the Atlanta Hawks, whom, as I said, I believe this is a fitting end to this primer series. I was thinking of sort of doing it as a pecking order or on a pyramid scale where we work our way up, maybe start off at the bottom, finish at the top with, say, Cleveland. But as we did this primer series, I was pressured by some of our listeners to include Charlotte. Not in, They were not in the original game plan, so we had a change of plans there. Mr. Eagle, whom if we were to start off with at the bottom with, and I would certainly say that, Brooklyn is is the bottom. I kind of like that little spot we had him in last week, huh? Week one of the NFL season, just hours before he called the Seattle Seahawks 12-10 victory over the Miami Dolphins on the NFL on CBS. So not just scheduling-wise, but considering that this whole series was pitched by audience members who tweeted me at CLNS underscore LHR, I knew I had to leave some room for audience members to get more of what they wanted. So we kept it flexible, and now here we are. Finish finishing it with the Atlanta Hawks completing the series with, as stated, the team that ended Boston's season last year in Boston on the parquet in Game 6. And of course, as we know, it did not end there. Far from it. In fact, it was really only the beginning. July 2nd, the Boston Celtics signed longtime Atlanta veteran all-star big man Al Horford. There you go. These teams will be intertwined for the immediate future. And, oh, yeah, they'll spend another year battling out in the Eastern Conference standings during the regular season and quite possibly another playoff series. So goes without saying, we're going to be talking a lot about the Hawks and the Celtics this coming 2016-17 NBA campaign. And we certainly have touched a lot upon Al Horford and what he means or is going to mean for the Celtics. But what about the impact on Atlanta? His loss to the Hawks. Which, I mean, it certainly matters to the Celtics, as we just said, as we all know, Boston is directly competing with the Hawks in the Eastern Conference. Key loss for the Hawks, no matter where he went. We've talked ad nauseum all summer in the immediate aftermath of the Horford signing on July 4th weekend to, uh, we had Kristen Ledlow on this broadcast a month ago. So many have talked about what Al Horford will mean to the Celtics on the court, duh, but in that locker room, off the court, Whatever, but the Hawks, who beat the Celtics last year, just lost their team's best player to the Celtics. A double whammy. So, uh, no reason to continue to state the obvious here, as as I've been doing. So, let's really dive uh, dive into this. Uh, Chris Vivlamore, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I especially want to hear what Chris has to say, considering, of course, one of the most foreknown NBA journalists in the country. But Viv has been... The closest member of the Atlanta media to Al Horford, if you recall, Al gave his exclusive exit interview to Viv in the AJC back in mid-July. Link is up to that. 
Q&A on the Celtics Beat Facebook page, facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Without, but without any further ado, Viv, hope you've had a great summer, man. It seems like just yesterday we were speaking every other day on the Celtics pregame show during the Hawks Celtics quarterfinal series. So Viv, welcome back to CLNS Radio. Long time, even though it really hasn't been. It hasn't. It was a short summer, but it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Certainly is. Pleasure to get you here. Very grateful to those who've given their free time to us during this stage of the NBA offseason. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to Blue Apron, who's sponsoring this interview. Head on over to blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat for three free meals and free shipping. Use that code for fresh home-cooked meals at an incredible price. And as stated, help support interviews such as this by using our coupon code blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat. But Viv, we've been talking about Al Horford here to open the show. We're certainly going to get to that, but want to start off the segment pretty much exactly how we've done so with all of our guests during this series, and that's doing a rundown on the offseason allows us to react to it in your own manner while also giving the audience some cliff notes. So let's do this real quick. Gain, Dwight Howard, Jared Jack, longtime veteran guard who got hurt last year for the Nets. Picked up a few players in the draft, Toreen Prince, DeAndre Bembry in the first round. Also re-signed some key players. Kent Bazemore, Celtics fans are familiar with what he can do. Mike Mascala, a burly big. Chris Humphreys also to round out the roster. And of course, as we know, losing long-time Atlanta Hawk, Al Horford. So take it away from me, Viv. Yeah, and big thing, uh, the other big move there was trading uh, Jeff Teague, their starting point guard. How did I miss uh, that Indianapolis. one? The three-team deal. Um, right, and... Uh, Essentially, I look at the Hawks offseason as they made two trades, and it was uh, Al Horford for uh, Dwight Howard, and then if you look at it, it was Jeff Teague uh, for um, uh, the pick, which was Prince, um, and you and you elevate Dennis Schroeder to that uh, to that starting point guard position. So, those are the that's how I kind of look at it. It's basically your swap and uh, you know two starting positions. Um, and there's some question marks with both of them for the Hawks. Uh, you know, Dwight Howard has issues. That's uh, to be fair and honest. Um, how he will fit in here, you know, remains to be determined. Uh, the condition of his back remains to be determined. Uh, and so that's something that Hawks fans and their success is going to lie uh, upon. Uh, and the other thing is, look, they turned the keys over to Dennis Schroeder, the young, you know, brash point guard. Uh, which Celtic fans are uh, very familiar with, too, uh, with his little uh, issue with Isaiah Thomas. Um, and so is he mature enough? Is he ready to, to run the offense? Uh, and I think that's another big, almost a gamble, that you could say, uh, that the Hawks are, are going to take when they go into the new season. I almost don't know where to start because Atlanta, just I say like Indiana, who we, who we talked a lot about here in the past few weeks, they made a lot of major just roster-transforming moves towards the team. So like I said, I don't know where to start. Maybe I guess we can start in the yeah. backcourt since you were just talking about it. And the Jeff sure. Teague trade, which I was silly enough not to mention, because that was, I thought, as, as big of a move as they, as they could have made. And am I wrong to take the angle of that that trade very possibly could have been an admission from management that they felt that that particular group that they've been running with the last three years, that that group has sort of run its course. I don't think that's quite accurate. Um, I, I think it's fair to say, though, that Jeff Teague's time in Atlanta had ended. Um, and, you know, I, I made a case even early in the last season that, you know, you might want to bring him back 
because you still have a dynamic backcourt with uh, with Teague and Schroeder behind him. Uh, Teague made eight million dollars, or will make eight million dollars. It's you know you just don't find a starting point guard in the NBA who who makes that little and is that cap friendly. Uh, and so I thought that was going to be a, a you know it became obvious, especially during the Hawks' last playoff series when Schroeder played in two of the games down the stretch, including the fourth and final game, um, that it was time to, they were looking to go in that direction. And, and Jeff Teague, you know, and his agent went to them in the office right after the office season ended and said, you know, can you try to trade us? Uh, and they were able to oblige him with that. I think, you know, it might be a good move for Jeff to go back to his hometown. Uh, but um, I just think it had run his course. He had issues um, with his playing time at times when, when Schroeder played ahead of him. Um, and I just didn't think it was going to work. So I think that was more of a, of a situation where you were just going to kind of cut bait and, and, and see if this, you know, youngster is going to be the key. Yeah. Teague was involved in trade rumors as uh, late as last February, last year. We all remember Al Horford possibly going to Boston in a trade last February. Jeff Teague's name was thrown around a lot. So it seemed like the clock was ticking on him, but I'll basically ask for your opinion. Right. Do you think Schroeder is ready to handle that, that, that mantle? Um, that's a really good question. Um, it's a tough question. I don't know if it's I a good to, one. <laughs> I I need to see him mature a little bit. I, like I said, there were he's looked very talented, very fast. Can can get to the basket. Doesn't have to shoot all the time. He needs to get better with a shot. Uh, but it's instances like those issues he got in with Thomas, where you say he still got to grow up a little bit. Uh, and so I, that is going to be as, as much as we want to talk about Howard coming and, and Horford leaving. To me, how Schroeder handles that new job uh, will be the key to the Hawks season. Um, and I've talked to a player like Tabo Cephalosha who told me this summer, look, we're going to have to, we're going to have to guide him. We're going to have to put our arm around him and, you know, further teach him, uh, to be the kind of leader he needs to be. And, you love the brashness, you love the in-your-faceness, but you've got to control it too. So um, I think he's ready, uh, but I'm not willing to say it 100% yet. That sort of is probably, I would say, the mo- one of the more important factors. Of course, when you're, all the people that we've talked to from Atlanta, be it Kristen Lello, who's been on the show, has talked almost so much of what Al Horford meant to that Atlanta Hawks locker room. So thus, that, it's tough to say that would be a pretty big loss. And I guess this sort of leads me to asking you what you're going to consider to be a good question. I won't consider it a good question. I'll consider it <laughs> pretty basic but because we know it was in Atlanta's intention to effectively replace Al Horford with Dwight Howard, but th- that ended up turning out being it so. <laughs> so I'll ask you there, how do you think that's going to go? Very open-ended. Yeah, I just um, – I they're going to have to change their entire offense, I think. Uh, you know, and I've had it pounded over my head by Coach Boonholzer since he got here for three years that in this system, their system, the four and the five, the power forward and the center are interchangeable. That is not the case anymore with Dwight Howard. He cannot step past the three-point line like uh, Al Horford did and learned and became pretty effective, at least from the top of the top of the arc, not the, not the corner so much. Um, you know, they're going to have to play different. Uh, but I can tell you that for all this three years, the Hawks have wanted that kind of rim protector, rim runner, rim trailer um, player, and they haven't had it. I think they thought they were going to get it with Tiago Splitter, uh, and then the injuries just kind of eliminated him from that picture. 
Uh, and so they're going to have to learn to play different. Um, and I've had it, this beat over my head too a few times that this is actually going to open up more shots for their for their wings. If you have to commit two players to Dwight Howard to defend him in the post, then if he can kick it out, uh, then guys like Kyle Korver and Kent Bazemore are going to get more open looks. Um, and they'll need to knock them down, which they had trouble doing last year. So uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting. I mean, there's there's no denying the fact that uh, Dwight Howard is, is is a premier post player. He's not the player he was. Uh, is that how much of his back is going to you know play into that remains to be seen. Uh, but they are going to have to play a different brand of basketball uh, than we've been used to here in the Budenholzer era. Do you think they made the right call and not being as aggressive with Horford as they possibly could have been? No, I think they made an error. I think they thought he was going to take less uh, money. Um, they thought they could offer him more than, say, the Celtics, but it was still not the max. Um, and when he initially balked, I think they panicked a little bit and jumped out of Dwight Howard, who really had what I'm told Atlanta and maybe Charlotte as options. Uh, and so I think they jumped at him pretty quickly and then found themselves in the predicament. If we're going to give Al max money now or close to it, maybe we have to part ways with Paul Millsap. And that did not go over with, well with the Millsap camp. Uh, and so, you know, I think there's some damage control to be done there too. So uh, I don't think they played it uh, correctly. Um, that doesn't mean Al wasn't going to leave in the end. Uh, and you know, an argument can be made for not paying him, you know, the maximum 153 and kind of handcuffing yourself a little bit against the cap. So I understand both sides of it. Uh, but I think initially, I think they jumped too early at Dwight Howard. So suffice to say, it doesn't seem like you're giving like flying grades or passing colors, however the, the phrase is <laughs> for the Atlanta Austin. Do you want to slap a grade on them from Professor Vivlamore? Uh Right now, I call the offseason a C. And and but there's room to go up if if Schroeder and, and and Howard work out, and I think there's room to go down if they don't, because uh, you know this, this management system that they've got here with uh, you know Boonholzer being both a coach and president, and then promoting Wes Wilcox to GM, you know they're on the line here if this doesn't work out, uh, because this is a team that's made the playoffs for eight nine straight years. There is some success here. They two years ago they were in the Eastern Conference Finals. If you messed with this and 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 mess it up, um, then I, then they could be in trouble. So right now I'd say it's a C. Uh, but like I said, I, to be fair, there's room to go up, but there's room to go down. I want to save the best question for last, but we're not at the last yet because I think this is okay. pretty important. Of course, the Celtics made that big move without Horford. There, of course, but whenever. Someone of relevance has something to say about Al Horford. Celtics Nation is listening with open ears. Like we said, we had Kristen Ledlow here a few weeks ago, and she was talking ad nauseum about him, what he really meant to the Hawks, all the stories that most common observers don't know, his leadership, whatever he does on and off the court. Is there anything that you're willing to share about him? I'll just sort of once again, just sort of you're allowed to take the floor here on Al Horford to Celtics Nation. Right. I, I just I don't think it's a coincidence that the day they drafted him at number three, their playoff run began. I think he's a leader. Uh, he's not vocal, uh, but he certainly carries himself as a professional. Uh, uh, he he did that in that locker room. Uh, I think he knew how to win, uh, and he knew what it took to win. Uh, I think he was uh, one of the most honest players I dealt with. 
um, in a locker room after after wins and losses to to kind of say you know this is what happened whether it was on him uh, or the team needed to be better. Uh, I just don't think that's a coincidence of what he meant to this organization. I mean, they did not have a lot of success before he came here, and he was part of that core. And it did include, you know, Teague and Josh Smith and Marvin Williams and Joe Johnson to a certain extent who couldn't get over that hump. Uh, But to me, he was the mainstay all the time. Uh, And he worked at his game. Um, He was undersized the whole time. Uh, And, in fact, he probably wanted to leave – um, before Budenholzer got here because he was playing out of position. He's a power forward. Uh, but if you get that system, and, and Coach Stevens has it with the Celtics too, where that four and five are interchangeable and he's got some freedom to step away from the basket, then then negates the size and, and weight disadvantage he might be at times. Uh, and I just think he just showed tremendous improvement, uh, even battling those two torn pecs that shortened his two seasons. Um, the step outside behind the three-point line, um, you know, you're going to want to watch his rebounds because they're not always what uh, everybody thinks they might be out of the center, uh, but you have to take, there's some give and take there. So um, initially, I think the Hawks are going to miss and the Celtics are going to gain uh, a leader and somebody who knows how to win. Yeah, I was, I mean, what is that with about his rebounding? You hear so many things, I mean, I guess the glass half full people, when they talk about his, his rebounding or lack thereof for someone of his size, they point to Budenholzer. Yeah. Putting that emphasis, I mean, Celtics fans are very familiar with this. Doc Rivers did this years ago. They put a greater emphasis on getting back on defense, and thus right. that eliminates crashing the offensive glass. But what it is about his declining re- rebounding numbers the last, I think, it's like four years or so? I, I think it's just that continued him moving away from the basket. And you're right, that, that was uh, – Boonholzer would much rather have that team get back on defense uh, and set up. Uh, because transition is extremely important and transition defense is the most important uh, to them. And so, you know, you, you lost some rebounds there by getting back. Uh, and, you know, look, he, like I said, he was undersized a lot at that position. His advantage was pulling the other big away from the basket. Uh, but I can tell you there were people in the organization who would look at the score sheet some night and say one rebound, Al Horford had one rebound. You know, that's an issue. Uh, but he can, he, you know, he can, he can mix it up in there too. I just think, I think it's a seamless transition from him, from the Hawks to the Celtics, just because the styles are going to be so similar. To see, I mean, once again, here's another open-ended question on my end. Does he take Boston, say, past that Atlanta tear, past that Indiana tear, and maybe volts them up in and around Toronto, where they're north of a 50-win team, certainly not good enough to beat Cleveland? But basically, I was going to ask you, I mean, what does he do for the Celtics from their standpoint? Yeah, I think he flips them in the Hawks. So I think, you know, I think the Celtics get elevated to that, you know, three, four spot, you know, maybe as low as five. And and now the Hawks are the team that are probably looking at being that five, six, seven, somewhere in there. I, I think he flips them just because of the, like I said, of the unknowns of, of Howard, how he's going to fit. Uh, will he behave? Um, you know, or what other kind of issues come up? Can, you know, that, that locker room, again, is is missing a big leader in Al Horford. So is there somebody who can control? Is it Paul Millsap and Kyle Korver who have to take Horford, un, I mean, Howard under his wing and say, this is how we do things here. Uh, so I, that's it. my initial impression is I think the, the Hawks and the Celtics kind of flip in the, in the standings. So usually to get our esteemed guests out of here during the course of the last preseason <laughs> series, and you've been the main event, you are the last person we will have in here. I always ask them, 
hypothetical playoff series starting tomorrow. Seems like you're going to pick Boston. So if Boston-Atlanta played a seven-game series starting tomorrow with, I guess, the Celtics having home court, who do you got and how many games? Yeah, right now I I would say it was close. But like I said, right now I'd give the edge uh, to the Celtics just because I I like what they did. I think they learned a lot from last year. Uh, and the Hawks have some question marks that need to be answered. Uh, that could change. Uh, but if you're asking me now on paper, you know, how this summer's played out, uh, I'd give, you know, and again, maybe, maybe this one goes seven. Uh, but I'd give the Celtics a slight edge at this point. Chris Vivlamore, Hawks beat reporter for the Atlanta Journal Constitution. You can follow Viv on Twitter at CVivlamoreAJC. Viv, suffice to say, that's not the last time we'll speak. Talk to you in the pregame show this year. You've got it. Anytime. Again, Chris Vivlamore, as I just said, we'll hear from him on the pregame show this coming season. Remember, Celtics pregame on CLNS Radio is available on the postgame show feed on iTunes and Stitcher. So search for CLNS Radio's Celtics postgame show to get access to that. Friday, January 13th in Atlanta, I believe, the first time the Celts match up with the Hawks. And, of course, in Atlanta. So that is going to be Al Horford's return to Georgia. I think we all know by now, as much we have, as we have talked about it, uh, the guests that we've had here over the last few months this summer, even during this primer series, Coach Jack Armstrong and Quinn Buckner, to be specific, that lauded how Horford is just the perfect fit for the Celtics, how he covers up so much many of their deficiencies that they've had the last few seasons. I mean, just his presence alone will open things up for Isaiah, being able to score both in and around the basket, and having a respectable outside shot, as Viv said. Of course, you know, defensively, him being a great pick-and-roll defender, and of course, you know, giving the Celtics their only real burly big body to be there for traditional interior defense. We certainly know this by now. But it's... As I discussed at the beginning, the impact that it is going to have on Atlanta, a direct rival to Boston, has gone so under the radar. And of course, I mean, not only did Atlanta lose a great player, not only did the Hawks lose a flexible and versatile big man, something as Viv specifically pointed out, what the Hawks basically predicated their offense around and replaced him with a traditional and limited and declining center in Al Horford, but the locker room presence and the leadership, which so many folks from Atlanta, be it Chris or Kristen Ledlow, who they just say, trust us. We're around, Al. We were around that Hawks team. You just can't really put into words what he meant to them. And really, you can't. You, you cannot concretely measure his value there, especially when Atlanta is turning things over as much as they are, turning things over to Dennis Schroeder at the point guard position, who, as Viv feared, is a little worried about his maturity. Atlanta is not going to have that rock in the locker room. Worse, I mean, they're going to have Dwight Howard, who he himself has had his bouts of immaturity throughout the 12 to 13 years he's been in the league now. So it was interesting to note, too, that Viv never gave any positives regarding the Horford for Howard swap, like none, even though, I mean, there are, I mean, for example, rebounding, obviously Howard's an upgrade over Horford there. And I think that is going to be a team deficiency for the Celtics this year that we have not really talked about. We we touched about it briefly with Chris Forsberg in our, in the summer series, uh, summer forecast series. And that's something I think we could be talking about this summer season, but we never really have brought it up or Chris didn't bring it up himself because from what I took away from that is it seems that so much of the negatives outweigh the positive that that it's just tough to look at 
glass half full vantage point. So, which I mean, oh well, uh, good for the Celtics, right? Good, good for the Celtics. Uh, that was a perfect way to finish the primer series of far and away the most anti-home team pro Celtics primer interview that we conducted over the last month. And we've done uh, like eight of them now, I believe, or something like that, seven or eight of them. But talk about going out on on top with this series. Want to now transition to Kevin Pelton. But before we do, remember, we are running a few contests. I'm sure many of you know now, but Paul Pierce signed a framed 8 by 12 photo of himself hitting a 2006 game winner against the Denver Nuggets. Enter into that by just simply following me on Twitter. All followers are entered into that contest. Follow me at CLNS underscore LHR. That is at CLNS underscore LHR. And here's one in which we just debuted, but we've only got a few days left in it, and it's, and it's a good one, too. Two tickets to the Boston Celtics open practice on September 30th. You can enter into that contest. Winners drawn very soon, so you got to get in real quick. But enter into that contest by subscribing, rating, and reviewing Celtics Beat on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes. Sounds complicated, but it takes just 20 seconds. So again, subscribe, rate, and review Celtics Beat on iTunes. Okay, let's break for a little bit, a little quick. I got Kevin Pelton. He's in the house. Need to get some technicality sorted out. But when we come back, we will have Kevin here for our featured guest segment. We promise. Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, critically acclaimed author and host of Celtics Beat. And I'm privileged to be joined by Daryl Conant, former U.S. Olympic Committee strength coach and one of the leading strength and condition specialists in America. Daryl, thanks so much for being here. It's great to be here, Larry. Thank you. Daryl, you're a student of the legendary bodybuilder Vince Gironda. Tell me a bit more about Vince. Vince Gironda was considered the pioneer of pure natural bodybuilding. His training methods and nutritional concepts are still being incorporated in many gyms throughout the world today, and I had the privilege myself of having him as my mentor. How can we learn more about the methods of the Iron Guru? As a student of Vince Gironda, I always wanted to give back to Vince in some way. I wrote a book entitled Invincible that depicts many of Vince's programs and nutritional theories that he taught me. For more information on this book, folks can visit my website at www.darylcurrent.com. Daryl, Vince had so many methods and ideas for achieving optimal health. Care to share any while we're here? One of Vince's most popular nutritional concepts was his recommendation of eating organic, grass-fed beef to build muscle. Organic red meat is loaded with nutrients necessary for building quality muscle. As Vince would always say to me, you must eat the type of food that the muscle is made out of, red meat. Get on that path of effortless fat loss and optimal health by following the appropriate nutritional methods. And get it from the country's leading organic meat brand, American Farmers Network at AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. What's going on, Pass Nation? This is Marvin Zahn of CLNS Radio, and I'm here to tell you right now to check out the CLNS Radio New England Patriots postgame show hosted by myself and my co-host, Mr. Mike Nice, and live on CLNSRadio.com immediately after every single Pats game. Call in at 929-477-2386 toll-free to get your voice heard and contribute to the host breakdown and analysis of the latest Patriots contest. We also got the stars and sorries of the day 
Twitter posts with a play of the game, and everything else that is going on with the four-time Super Bowl champions. Subscribe to the CLNS Radio New England Patriots post-game show on iTunes and Stitcher, and the best way, download the free CLNS Radio mobile app for on-demand listening anytime, any place, anywhere. Welcome back into Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, www.clnsradio.com. Download the free CLNS Radio mobile app for on-demand listening anywhere. This is Larry H. Russell, and joining us right now is today's featured guest, we just completed the primer series, and now all in one, we'll get a rundown on the entire conference and bang it out with Kevin Pelton, who provides his work for ESPN and ESPN Insider. So with that, we welcome you back to CLNS Radio, Mr. Pelton. Well, thanks for having me back. Yeah, I, you know, the player profiles that I do that we've started rolling out this month are kind of my year-long focus. So to me, you know, the 12th man on the Nets is is important to get that one right, is the the star on the Warriors. The player profiles were, they've been coming out over the past few weeks now, and they're going to continue to come out. I know there was a lot of discussion in the Celtics realms of the World Wide Web about them, particularly Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley, what they do in the defensive end. Should have gotten you here to do that show. We've got to get this on the Eastern Conference. Real quickly, though, uh, regarding, were there any changes to the Shaney uh, projections that have come out? I, mean, I don't want to sort of give it away, but any uh, kinks that you've made to your uh, little calculations there? No, I mean, I feel pretty good about the player projections. The the team projections I was trying to build off of them, it seemed like perhaps I bit off more than I could chew in terms of, you know, the idea was creating a, a world where basically all the player stats added up to team stats and those you use to to evaluate the teams. And that didn't end up necessarily being very predictive. So I've moved to using uh, ESPN's real plus minus uh, to, to do the team projections, but the player projections feel pretty good about it. You guys nailed the Celtics last year, though, right? You were right on 48, if I recall. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, I was very excited when they came from behind to win that final game of the season to get to exactly 48. Was there another team that you sort of – was Portland another one that I believe you got correctly where a lot of people were predicting them to be one of the worst teams in the league and you – uh, was I right on Portland? Where were you on Portland last year? Yeah, no, uh, RPM had them winning 40 before the season. And I think if you account for the actual minutes that they played, it's, uh, it's even uh, was up to 42 because, you know, the assumption going in was at some point in the season they'd pivot to playing more younger players, which uh, is why everyone figured that they'd be substantially worse. But, uh, yeah, I saw that guys like Aminu and Ed Davis were going to help them more than, than people realized. Yeah, I remember Vegas, if I recall right off the top of my head, I think Vegas had them as the fourth worst team in the NBA last year. But anyways, you've got the player projection, the player profiles coming out. You've been making the rounds on the podcasting scenes, as you always do. There's probably not a better podcast guest, because like you said uh, the last time you've been here, you're probably one of the few people left who does not have a podcast, so therefore you are one of the guests. But you just had an appearance a few weeks ago on this very network on the Real GM radio podcast with Danny LaRue. Kevin, yourself, SI's Ben Golliver. That's available for download on the CLNS Radio mobile app if listeners want to give that a listen, which I certainly suggest. But uh, you, Ben, and Danny previewed the Pacific Division. So we actually just completed our rundown of rivals to the Celtics in the conference, or relevant foes. We literally just had Chris Vivlamore here to wrap it up with it on Atlanta's end, our little committee of one here on Celtics Beat decided that th- those would be. We broke it up in a tears, Cleveland on top. Then a mesh of Celtics, Raptors, Atlanta, Charlotte, Indiana. So I'd love some confirmation from you, KP, of did we do that right? 
You know, I would probably split up that second group into two. To me, Toronto and Boston are kind of in a tier of their own. And then you've got the rest of the Eastern Conference. And the one team, so are you including Detroit that isn't also ran? I, I am, and I was going to get to that. Okay, so now start selling me on Detroit because I wanted to ask them right away. I did get a few people saying that, you know, that they're liking what Detroit's doing. I was going to get to that. May as well start off right there on them. Yeah, those RPM projections had them solidly fourth in the East at, uh, I think, almost 48, or maybe not quite that, maybe 46, but uh, well ahead of those other teams. If you look at, you know, the four teams that were, I guess, the three teams that were ahead of them besides Boston in the standings, Atlanta, Charlotte, Indiana, that, that group of teams, you know, a lot of defections that those teams suffered over the summer or, or substantial changes maybe that they initiated in the case of uh, Atlanta and, and Indiana. And I, I think that those changes probably made them worse teams. Then the other thing you look at with Detroit is uh, they're the youngest of those teams. So you've got some internal development, I think, that, that helps boost them, along with the fact that you know they didn't really lose anyone of note from last year's team, at least as it ended the season after they made that trade for Tobias Harris and filled a couple of their, their biggest needs with Ish Smith as a backup point guard, you know, probably overpaid, but uh, a huge upgrade over what Steve Blake gave them in that spot last year after they traded Brandon Jennings and Boban Marjanovic gives them another option at center which was probably their other weakest position last year so you add that up I I have them fourth in the east going into this season are there any other players on that team that you project last year I remember you had Marcus Smart I I believe it was either you or RPM Tom Haverstrow had Marcus Smart making a big leap are there any other players on Detroit who could make a leap that should really help catapult that team you know, I don't know if I see them making a leap. I think just solid incremental improvement for guys like Stanley Johnson, you know, Harris, who will be in his first year, full year there. And uh, then the other interesting guy is Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who has already become one of the better defensive guards in the league, but offensively has lagged a little bit because of his uh, poor three-point shooting. So if he bounces back there a little bit, then, you know, that could be something that helps him a great deal. So basically then I clearly whiffed by not including Detroit in the series. I did have them as an also-ran. Technically, dare I say, one of the reasons why I did do this series this way is I actually believe that there is some faint possibility, or at the very least a possibility, with all the teams. I sort of I got a lot of listener pressure to include Charlotte in this series, whereas I didn't get much listener pressure to include Detroit. So I guess that's where I'm really at fault. But could you make an argument for... Obviously, we know Cleveland's going to be there. But could you make an argument for the Celtics, Raptors, Atlanta, Charlotte, Indiana, and Detroit? Can they, do they all have a greater than 5% chance of making the Eastern Conference Finals? Yeah, I think that's probably reasonable. I, I'm probably a little lower on Indiana than most people. I, I didn't like what they did in the offseason because I think it's going to hurt them substantially at the defensive end and, and not provide as much benefit offensively. So I don't know if I'd put them in the 5% category. Atlanta and Charlotte are probably on the borderline. RPM is really low on Atlanta, which has them below 500. But I think that's kind of a a structural error and something about what how Atlanta is able to develop talent. RPM can't quite pick that up because of the fact that it's using multiple years of data. So I think they'll be more in the mix than that. But you know, to me, Boston and and Toronto are clearly the favorites for that other spot. If you assume Cleveland is uh, there for certain, is one of those two. How about a question of which team do you feel has, of course, once again, we're going to just exclude Cleveland from all this. They're in a class of their own. 
which teams are the easiest pre- to predict in terms of what they're able to do. And it's interesting that's what you said about Indiana because I believe Indiana is a real wild card in the conference in the sense that I think they could be anywhere between literally 39 to 52 wins. I think they're a complete wild card in that regard. So which team do you, do you, would you say is the easiest to predict and then which team do you feel has, I don't know how I phrase this question, maybe the highest, highest ceiling? Let's see. I mean, you know, I think the easiest to predict, it's probably teams that didn't make a lot of changes in the offseason are, you know, probably the safer bets. And then teams that are relatively deep, built to withstand some injuries. So even though Boston had a huge addition with Al Horford, I think they probably qualify in that category. Toronto is probably in there to some extent as well. And then maybe Detroit would be the fourth team because, you know, it's basically the same core of players that they had last year. Whereas, you know, I, I agree with you that there's a lot of in- uncertainty on Indiana, new head coach, a couple of changes to the starting lineup. If those click, then, you know, as they hope, if they don't fall off defensively and improve as much as they expect offensively, then yeah, then you're looking at that 50 win team. If they take a step backwards defensively and, and don't improve much on offense, that's where, you know, they've got that downside. So Atlanta and Charlotte, I think probably similar to that. Charlotte, maybe not as dramatic offseason changes, but, you know, Michael Kidd Gilchrist coming back, it's going to be a very different formula than what they had last year. Wanted to work our way down the conference. Seems like you do have the playoffs at least set with, in regards to, let's see, I mean, in, in the mesh of Cleveland, Detroit, Boston, Atlanta, Indiana, Charlotte. I think I got all that right. I believe that's two more spots. One more spot. Let's see. What I, just, I can't remember if I just named six or seven teams. Who do you, who do you see grabbing sort of the end of the, uh, the, that final spot? Is it going to be in Milwaukee, Washington right now? I'm just sort of throwing out names as we just sort of work our way down the totem pole here. Yeah, I think Washington, to me, is up there in that same tier with uh, Indiana, Atlanta, and Charlotte. You know, this is a team that went, I believe, 18 and 13 last last year after the All-Star break, after they got Markeith Morris at the trade deadline. I don't think this year's team is quite as good. First off, you know, obviously, uh, Bradley Beal was healthy most of that stretch, and you can't count on him over a full season at this point. And then I, I think, you know, when they weren't able to use their cap space on first Durant, who didn't even take a meeting with them, or even Al Horford, then uh, I think they probably ended up downgrading a little bit going from Nene and the cast of characters that they had to Jan Mahimi, who I, he can't play with Gortat the way that Nene could at times. So that's going to be a tricky fit how they get 48 minutes between those two guys. And then, uh, you know, not a huge fan of importing Orlando's backup front court of Andrew Nicholson and Jason Smith to kind of handle that other spot in the front court. What were some of the biggest reasons, or at least in your analysis and your data, of what you've looked at of why that team fell off as much as they did last year, being, I think they won like 48 games a few years ago, gave Atlanta a run in the second round of the playoffs. And what were some of the many reasons? I know they did have some injuries last year and some other issues with coaching with Randy Whitman, but what sort of, what sort of jumps out at you on that uh, data sheet? Well, I think part of it is people kept uh, projecting a leap for them based on what they saw in the playoffs. And that's not necessarily, I don't think, as predictive as what we see over the, the full regular season. So, you know, 
playoff Beal was very good, but he hasn't been able to build off that really because of the injuries. Uh, Porter had a great stretch for them in the playoffs playing alongside Paul Pierce. And, and losing Pierce was really a, a tough blow for them. Jared Dudley did a nice job for them at power forward, but you know he could only play so many minutes a night. And you know I think you really saw how much better they got after they got Markeith Morris, that that solidified that power forward spot for them quite a bit. So you know I think those are those are probably the two biggest factors and and along with the injuries that you know they just never were quite as good as people thought who only watched them in the playoffs how about the bucks they've for years now the last two three years they've been looked at as such an intriguing team they had a very good season very good half a season up into that infamous trade deadline deal where they acquired michael carter williams in 2015 i believe off the top of my head what do you think is a floor ceiling with them I, I like them quite a bit this year. I mean, I don't know that they have, well, you know, if, if Giannis plays like he did in the second half of last season at point guard, you know, the, the nightly triple-double threat, and then Jabari Parker takes a step forward in his development, you know, then maybe you could be talking about edging into the mid-40s or even high-40s. But, you know, I think there's probably a team that's going to finish around 500 this year. They've kind of had this odd, you know, odd year, even year back and forth uh, where they expect to be playoff contenders in the, the, the seasons that end in even years and then instead end up not even close. And then, you know, the odd year is kind of the or the even year is the... Uh, or the odd year is the overcorrection to that. Two years ago, they went from you know having the number two pick with, on, that they used on Jabari Parker to going to making the playoffs the next year. And I, I see maybe not quite that big of a, a jump this year, but a similar jump for them. I really like the addition of Matthew Dellavedova. He's not a high ceiling guy, certainly, but uh, a favorite of RPM, uh, a guy who fits very well next to Giannis if you're thinking of him as a point guard because of the fact that he can defend point guards and be a threat there, but then also is a useful player off the ball with his three-point shooting so I, I think they've gotten better uh you know i think they found a better mix with uh moving carter williams to the second unit and probably greg monroe there those guys probably become the focal points of the second unit so i like them quite a bit so now going all the way down i would say to the bottom of the bottom i get the sense that you really don't buy anything coming out of new york they've done this before i think it was 2007 where they put together like a really bizarre team where they had like Marbury and uh, Zach Randolph and it's just like David Lee and it just blew up right in their face. Likewise, do you sort of see the same thing here as a lot of this mostly drummed up? I don't hate using, you know, pointing finger drum, but kind of drummed up by the New York media. And this is not a that's a very sketchy team, I would say, in New York, right? Yeah, I mean, it does feel very much like an Isaiah Thomas team where, you know, they acquired guys who, if you had gotten them five years earlier, it would have been an amazing coup, but uh, they're not getting them at that stage of their career. I mean, their starting lineup, you know, if it if they stay healthy, that's the first caveat here. And, uh, you know, Big it, caveat. It, if they're a major yeah. asterisk. That's that's the biggest thing with this team, and that and that's I think one of the reasons why their projections are so much lower than people are thinking. Because people always think of it is like nothing, no one's going to get injured, everything's going to go right. You know what will this team look like? And in that case, I, I think forty five wins is a reasonable possibility, maybe even more. You know, if if Derrick Rose can find a way to coexist with Carmelo Anthony, this is a higher usage guy than Anthony's had around him since Allen Iverson in Denver. So that's that's going to be an interesting mix. And then also, how do you continue to make Kristaps Porzingis an important part of that offense when Rose is going to need touches? Joakim Noah, you're going to want the ball in his hands a fair amount because that's a lot of his value offensively is his 
ability to make plays from, from the high post. And then Melo obviously is going to be a focal point. So how do those guys fit together? Uh, if that works, maybe, but you know, when they start having inevitably start having injuries, this bench looks about as weak as any in the league. I, I think, you know, Brandon Jennings was a nice coup for them one year, 5 million. He, he might end up their best point guard this season. I wouldn't be too surprised by that. But uh, beyond him, you know, you're counting on guys like Lance Thomas, who had a, a bit of a fluky three-point renaissance last year uh, in his late 20s. Uh, Sasa Vujicic is probably going to still be in the mix unless Justin Holiday really uh, impresses there. You know, they're counting on a couple guys they brought over from Spain, Medeiros Kuzminskis and Vili Hernan Gomez. So I, I have a lot of questions about how ugly it might get when those guys are playing heavy minutes and even in the starting lineup. I'm kind of loving this little rapid-fire format that we're going with. Rarely do I do that. Usually I'm very well involved in the discourse. So really, I got two more questions for you, KP, and these are my two favorite ones of them all. And I'll start off with this. Worst team in the conference, Brooklyn or Philadelphia? I lean ever so slightly towards Philadelphia. Wouldn't be surprised if it's either of those two teams. I mean, I think, you know, Brooklyn has upgraded at point guard with Jeremy Lin. And then uh, a full year, uh, a healthy year from Rondé Hollis-Jefferson could be big for him because he was he was phenomenal last season at the defensive end. Can't shoot uh, from three-point range at all which is always going to be an issue for him. But, uh, you know, they, they can, he provides enough offense that you can certainly live with it to take advantage of what he brings at the defensive end. And, you know, then you've got the best player probably among those two teams in Brooke Lopez. Uh, Philly dramatically upgraded for sure. So much more talent and uh, excited to see, you know, they're, they have a lot of uncertainty because who knows what, what we're going to get from Joel Embiid, whether he's able to, to stay ha- healthy after the navicular injuries and then just what he looks like as a player. We haven't seen him against real competition since, you know, uh, February of his freshman year at Kansas, which is 2014. You know, two- yeah, two and a half years ago at this point. That's that's incredible. And who knows what kind of toll that, that time off has taken on his development. Uh, he's going to be fascinating to watch. But uh, certainly a much more competitive team and a lot more entertaining with Ben Simmons in the mix. Yeah, also I think obviously it goes without saying, and this is about obvious of the obvious, is pretty tough to do some of these projections when there are very well could be many, many moves that these teams could make. And I think Philadelphia pretty much stands out right then and there. It seems like they almost have to do something with their big men. If Embiid especially can be finally become healthy uh, later or at some point in the season, they will have to do it or something. But Kevin Pelton, a Willis Reed-like performance. Seemed like you were a little under, under the weather there on the other side, <laughs> right? Uh, I, yeah, I guess uh, just kind of a sore throat. Nothing too bad. Okay. Kevin Pelton, ESPN Insider. Definitely check out Kevin's work that had been coming out over the past month over his player profiles, many of the projections. Remember, ESPN and Kevin nailed the Celtics' win total last year. You can follow Kevin on Twitter, at KPelton. Mr. Pelton, thanks so much for doing this with us once again. All right. Thanks for having me. Kind of hard not to feel good about Boston's chances this year if it was based upon this episode of Celtics Beat and this episode alone. Great, great stuff there from KP. Again, Kevin Pelton. Check out his work on ESPN Insider. Awesome service uh, for basketball fans. We'll be sure to get Kevin back numerous times throughout the season. I have a great respect for his work, as do many. But a a good show here. Uh, Finished off the Primer Series. 
Thank you to Brendan E. once again for this. I feel this, and this is just my opinion, but I feel the last month of this series, it's material that is evergreen. It can always access that information on all these rivals of the Celtics in the conference at any time. So do that by subscribing to Celtics Beat on iTunes, getting access to the archives, and of course, enter the contest for tickets to the Celtics Open Practice by writing us a review on iTunes too. But want to wrap this show up with some brief notes on programming here on CLNS Radio. So let's pause briefly for station identification. You're listening to CLNS Radio, home to the original Celtics podcast, Celtics Stuff Live. Okay, thank you, Justin. Yes, Celtics Stuff Live. Keep an eye on clnsradio.com for updates on their new episode releases. Also, CLNS Radio on social media, Twitter at CLNS Radio, Facebook at Facebook.com slash CLNS fans. Mentioned with KP how he did a show with SI's Ben Golliver, also a Celtics Beat veteran guest himself, Ben Golliver, available on the CLNS Radio mobile app, just like this. Previewing the Pacific Division, host Danny LaRue has been conducting divisional previews on Real GM Radio. Check that out, as well as Coach Nick. He's been doing the same on the B-Ball Breakdown podcast, which that too is available on the CLNS Radio mobile app. Free download for iPhones and Android. Still dry with basketball, but still plenty of listening for basketball fans, NBA fans on the CLNS Radio mobile app. And while we are still days away from training camp, NFL season, week one in the books, week two coming up later today, New England Patriots... I told Ian Eagle last week I thought they had no chance against Arizona last Sunday night. Er, uh, buzz, wrong. Uh, wow, what a win, huh? One of the best uh, regular season wins of the Bill Belichick era. So the Patriots, they are 1-0. Kickoff today against the Miami Dolphins for their home opener at 1 p.m. Earlier in this podcast, you heard a commercial for the CLNS Radio New England Patriots postgame show. That goes live on the CLNS, on, excuse me, on CLNS Radio Dot com immediately following this afternoon's game and of course available for on-demand listening on the app after the conclusion of that show so if you're a football fan a Patriots fan check in and even call in to the live Patriots post-game show and also CLNS has a fan duel league yes I am in Justin Poulin of Celtic Stuff Live Nick Gelso all the Patriots guys many CLNS radio listeners themselves it's FanDuel.com slash Patriots. FanDuel.com slash Patriots. So if you want to compete against all of us, take our money. Sign up there. Just a couple hours left till uh, week two kickoff. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time on the East Coast. So we love if you get in. And of course, the coming weeks as well. Week three uh, and beyond. It's just five bucks to get into the pot and to take home huge cash prizes if you are a winner. But throwing that out there to those who have interest in competing because certainly would love to see a lot of you there. And best of luck to all entrants. I really do. Uh, But, okay, that is it. Uh, That's it. Today's show was the final installment of the Primer Series. Next week, September 25th, will be the final show before the start of training camp as Celtics Media Day is the following day, Monday the 26th. First official practice, Tuesday the 27th. So going to be doing something different next week. What could it be? What could it be? I'm, I'm going to have to leave you, everybody on the edge of their seat. I'm sorry. Could really out... I'll give you this. 
could really be turning this broadcast on its head. Could be much, much different than what you're listening to here, too. What you normally expect next week. We made a difference, but we'll find that out on episode number 176, which is then. This is now episode number 175. In the books, in the bank, put on the board. Hawk Harrelson, yes, it's credit time. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Joshua Morse, and Steph Legratto. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. Mine, I am at CLNS underscore LHR. You can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Also, Google Plus, Celtics Beat on CLNS. Love to thank our guests, Chris Vivlamore of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Kevin Pelton of ESPN Insider, as well as our sponsors, Blue Apron and American Farmers Network, for making this all possible. And of course, the audience, thank you for tuning in yet another week for making this show the number one Celtics podcast on iTunes. For staff writer, Eddie Santiago, graphic designer, Taylor Arter, founder of the network, Nick Chelso, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday with another edition of Celtics Beat, exclusively on CLNS Radio.